Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Kia ora and welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod, where once again we'll be looking into plenty of Super Rugby action. A little bit of a look back at how Sam Tupo, last week's guest, went in the fight for life. And um, the short story is that it was a short story. <laughs> and uh, the rest of the teams, the Chiefs, the Crusaders, how that game went, what that means for the rest of the competition. The Blues, the big win over in Fiji, which isn't an easy one. And of course there was the Brumbies and the Hurricanes, where the Hurricanes came on top. The top five, how that's shaping. Well, have a good look at what it is and why, and also a bunch of questions from you at home about the All Blacks 9s and 10s, about Northern Hemisphere players and how their bigger, more physical approach, as mentioned last week by Sam Tuitupo, could affect the All Blacks and the way that they play. So, no further ado, James Parsons in the studio. Very well, very well. And over in Japan, Bryn Hall, who's off, well, a week of postseason celebrations and looking in pretty good, you know, stead really. Oh, he's had a week to recover. There wasn't a lot of recovering, lads, but no, it's good to be back. I think um enjoyed watching you guys um, uh, last week and obviously Sam Tutubu with the great knockout in what was the first 12 seconds. So, um, no, good to be back, lads, and I'm looking forward to really diving in and um, talking about what happened on the weekend. Yeah, it was good. In fact, I was on my way to the stadium and I missed it. Oh, actually? Well, yeah, because oh. it was over before I actually got to my seat. My God. I, was, I must admit, like, I was seriously impressed with how, like, he was just straightforward, but I'm going to knock him out round one. I can't I can't let it go to round two or three. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's good. He's backing himself. But then when you saw it, it was like, holy dooly, he did not miss. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you who missed it, this is what it looked like. Sam Dewey took us straight away. Decides he'll just... Ah! Whoa, no, no, straight up. Early in the ring. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to say he needs to lift his hands from the start. His hands were very, very low. Sam Tutupo, he saw that, bridge that gap really fast. A number of shots of him direct with the right hand, followed up the left hook. So to say that that was a comprehensive win would probably be an understatement. I actually ran into Sam afterwards in the hallway and he felt really bad. <laughs> he felt really bad. At the same time, it was kind of a, it's either you or me yeah, but <laughs> situation. I tell you what, he might have a, you know, we see a lot of players crossing over into boxing. Man, he, he might have a future in it. Yeah, he can throw. Definitely in Fight for Life. I'm sure they'll want to get him back. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know how many people would be stepping up to 
fight him now. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially when he's fighting upper weight division as well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Roy, Roy's not a small bloke. Um, he looked good in the ring too. So, speaking of knockouts, the Chiefs, they beat the Crusaders. Uh, not exactly a knockout blow, but they looked pretty good in the second half and finished it off. I think it was impressive the way, you know, it probably wasn't going their way, um, especially in that first half, a lot of time on D. Um, but we've spoken about the defence time and time again. Again, they're catching teams behind game line, forcing errors, and not, in, not allowing, I suppose, the Crusaders to capitalise on all the position and territory they had. Um, and, and I suppose that breakdown battle was always going to be um, a key part. And when it mattered, the Chiefs picked up turnovers in their 22. I think Sam Kane got one really early when the pressure was on. Um, but these sides are really close. Uh, they, they, it's... You know, you look at the Blues Crusaders last year and obviously that result um, with the Blues winning down in Christchurch, I don't think with the Crusaders you can ever think you've, you're on top of them. Mm. Well, one of the few Crusaders fans that I know that has two eyes came to me and said, look, I feel after watching that match, Bryn, that this is a tournament that we can win. Oh, 100%. And look, I think um, at the moment, you'd have to think the Chiefs have their number considering that's two wins during the regular season, which has never been done in... Scott Robbins' tenure, which will, I know will add a bit of, uh, bit of fuel to his fire in that group, knowing them. Um, but, yeah, I think they're not that far away. And I, I, know I say that as a one-eyed uh, crusader, but what I mean is that, you know, two tries were disallowed um, in that first half, and they had predominantly all the position in the territory in that first 30 minutes. But coming back to the, the Chiefs tackling at 93% and only missing 12 tackles out of 192, and that's some pretty impressive numbers and very similar to the semi-final last year that actually Clayton touched on after the game around defence winning championships. Chips alluded to it a lot during the um, during this podcast and how important that is. And this team, the Chief has, Chiefs has it at the moment. Two things that I think the Crusaders are missing out on at the moment, they're really missing um, Ethan Blackadder. And getting him back, I think, is going to be really crucial in bringing um, a bit of a hard steel to that to that pack. And that's not to say, um, you know, Dom Garner isn't going well, but I think the level of what Ethan Blatter can do for that group in and around the breakdown area, the efficiency of the breakdown cleaning, and his ball carries as well, um, will be very pivotal. But I think they're also missing uh, Will Jordan. And I think Fergus Burke has been great in the back three. And, you know, he's obviously um, come in for Richie uh, as a 10, but he's done a great job of 15. But I think you look at the way that Richie, when he attacks the line, you, re you talk around the pod system and then getting out to then be able to play out off him. Will Jordan does some great work in around roving around that area to really hold the defences of that fourth and fifth defender because he's floating in and around Richie. I don't think you saw on the weekend Richie able to go at the line off those pod runners um, at all. And that obviously comes back to, I think, teams identifying that fourth, fifth, sixth defender. You've got to be really good defensively knowing that Richie's going to be there. But the animation of what Will can do in that space, um, whether that be a little chipping behind, inside, outside, then roving off Davey with a second pivot, um, I think they're missing that at the moment, but um, at the moment, um, the Chiefs have got their number, but I know there'll be a lot of guys that are going to be coming back, the two players that I talked about, and you'd like to think that hopefully if they do finish second, um, they get another shot of the Chiefs, but at the moment, the Chiefs are at a, at a very good, um, in a very good space, and I think winning the way that they did, 93% tackle rate, was one of the reasons why um, they got the job done on the weekend. I, I think also, like going back to Brad Weber a couple of weeks ago, the, the game management from Damien himself was, yeah. was pretty spot on. Like They didn't play too much footy in their half. You know, sometimes when you don't have a lot of ball, you, you try to play it when you get it, and, and it's you know leads to turnovers and, and so forth. And, but they just kept putting it up there, and, and then when they came out on that second half, you know, I, and we've said this over the years that Bryn was all um, in the Crusaders, that when they get into the 22, they come away with points. And 
But when they get the opportunity, they come away with points. And both times when they when they were given that, they, they took it. Um, and I, I think that's a you know a big step in the direction of if they are in finals footy, you know they've got the composure. Even when behind, late it was it was no given they were going to win that. Um, but you know they just didn't look ever flustered. That you know you, you there is quite a lot of baggage for a number of teams when the Crusaders get in front. Uh, late, you know, normally they'll go into their, you know, their way and, and they'll be clinical enough to finish that game out. So really impressive um, effort from the Chiefs. I'm interested in that take on Damien McKenzie because I thought in the first half there were a couple of passes that went astray, there were a couple of kicks charged down. It felt to me like the Crusaders were on him and, and it was affecting the Chiefs certainly through the first half. Yeah, I think that's all to do with the breakdown. Like both packs came out firing um, and they, I suppose he's used to that fast ball in the previous weeks. This was test match levels. You look at the low turnover count, low penalty count, like the accuracy from both forward packs around the breakdown was so impressive. Um, and that just doesn't allow guys in, in that first five jersey or 15 jersey that become your pivots, time. And with time creates pressure and, um, you know, Damio's, um, he's a gambler, you know, like he'll, 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 he'll want to give a pass away or believe he can get a pass away. Um, but that's the pressure of the defence. If you can slow that breakdown down, you know you're going to get that line speed. But when you know Sean Stevenson gets that try, that's quick ball. You know they're not connected defensively, and then bang. I mean, I also thought his kicking game. That's a real big. Um, it's a real big thing in how, of how the Chiefs are working at the moment. You look at the difference in the Crusaders. They went to the contestable game. A lot of Mitchell Drummond early on getting some good pay out of that with the contestables, at least to get in the back, and then Richie Mwanga also. But you can see pretty clearly that the Chiefs would rather kick very long. You saw a kick in the, I think it was in the second half, straight from the 22, down the middle of the field, rolls into the 22, Fergus Burke kicks it out, and it's a 40-meter 40 40 line to the Chiefs in that, that game management gain. And I think when you're tackling at 93% as well, Ross, the ability to be able to build pressure because you can back your defense that even if you do kick the ball long, run it back at your own peril because we're either going to, either a team's going to make a mistake or we're going to get a defensive um, breakdown penalty, which they didn't get on the weekend, but that's what that kind of leads to. And so the Chiefs got their DNA, and if they continue tackling like that, and with Damien and Sean Stevenson's kicking game, and even Narawa as well, has attacking kicks as well, um, they're, a pretty, they're a pretty formidable beast at the moment. I've had a bit of feedback from uh, Christopher Minto on YouTube. Now, this is another viewer contribution. You can get in an email to us on Aotearoa Rugby Pod um, at sky.co.nz or give us a comment on YouTube or you can send us through a video on the submissions feed. We've got one of them for later on today. But this from Christopher Minto. An observation, I don't think the Crusaders are getting the same connection on attack and defence with their current crop of halfbacks. They are creating options of their own. They are drawing in defenders and don't worry the ball runners coming their way. Bryn, what do you think of that as a statement? Don't probably agree with that. Um, I think on the weekend, Drummy and even Willie Hines, when he's been coming on um, off the bench, their ability inside the 22 zero to be able to um, fix the first defender to be able to then get their forwards going forward or a rover with the wingers. I think they've actually been doing a pretty good job running around that. I think it's just more so probably outside that because if you look at the Crusaders game and where it's based around, it's based around the 10, the kind of the pivots off Richie and working in and off, in off Richie. It's not really a nines game. When you come into that 22-meter zone, that's where you might light up a little bit to be able to have a little sniff and around the heart defense. So I think that's tough, tough to judge that. I think it's more so outside that. If they can get, like I said, when Will Jordan was there and have the ability to get Richie running with animation in and around that, alongside with the really good breakdown efficiency like we saw in the first 30 minutes, I think that's where we're going to see the DNA in, in the Crusaders game moving forward. To Damien McKenzie, uh, obviously we had a signature announced on the breakdown live on Sunday night. 
Is this the most important signature that they're going to get for a while, considering the fact that Richie and Bodie aren't going to be around for the next four years? Well, I think years? the way he's playing, certainly. Um, would everyone have said that at the start of the season? No, probably everyone was looking at him as a 15 that can play 10. Mm. But to me now, he, he's a 10 that can play 15 and probably win. Um, but he, he's become an important cog and that's a great signing. Um, you know, and, and we've got to make sure um, we make every post a winner for him, um, that he wants to stay through to 27, obviously, because he'll be key for that too. Is it time now? just to give him the keys to the city and considering his form, considering we've got five weeks to go in Super Rugby and he's showing the goods? No, I don't think so. I think that what it has done, it's put him in the conversation to be able to, you know, whether that be starting now as a 10 um, and given the opportunity in the Rugby Championship to move forward because because of his form. But you can't take away from what Richie and, and Bodie um, have done in the, the previous four, uh, four years coming up to this World Cup. And experience is really important in that environment and, you know, it would have a, for me, it'd be a very brave call to be able to go, you know, here's the keys, Damien, take us to the Rugby World Cup. If they do that, then fair play to him and he's got that confidence. But, you know, I think personally with, with how the All Blacks is usually run, I don't think they'll um, they'll give Damien the keys. It'll still be a, a combination of, I think, Richie and Bodie uh, in understanding that. But then what Damien has done is put himself in that conversation that, you know, which, whatever direction we do go, he's a definite person that could be able to play that position. But, um from just seeing and knowing the selection process of what's happened the last four years post the World Cup, you know, you'd have to think Richie and Bodie would still be the front runners, um, considering how it's usually run. And I think, you know, at Test match level, if you look at the weekend and and you know, don't want to harp on about the breakdown, but it's so crucial for tens and the way they play, it's 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 another level up. So the time is going to be down. Those rush line speeds, especially of the Northern Hemisphere teams. I do think he warrants a run, you know, late in late in a game, late in a test match to, you know, get the trust. Because what if one of those two go down? We do we do need a general uh, a genuine ten to be able to step in at World Cup time. You know, look at 2011, I, you know, how many we went through. So um, I think he, he needs to have a have a crack, um, whether it's late in the game um, at ten. But hopefully we see that this season, especially before the World Cup. So. Scott Robertson announced, obviously, last week that he's going to keep Jason Ryan as forwards coach. He's going to bring in Scott Hansen as D coach, Leon McDonald as attack, along with Jason Holland to assist Leon McDonald on attack. That's a few major signings in the way that we shape up for next year. Brendan, maybe start with you. You've spent a fair bit of time, because Scott Hansen is probably the person on this list that people don't really know. They might have seen him in a mid-game interview between the Chiefs and the Crusaders on the weekend where he showed that he's a, um, a combative customer. What has been the key difference? Because it's been a lot different from that game in round one. We're in round what now? That's the difference. All the best. Thank you. But what do we need to know about Scott Hansen? Oh, that's a really good way to put it there, Ross, because, look, he's, um, man, he's firing. He's competitive. Um, you know, he's a, he's a former halfback, and, you know, a lot of halfbacks trip there, they're competitive to the core. So what he does, do, he's, got a, he's got a great amount of relentlessness when it comes to his preparation and his work side. Look, the guy's consistently in his computer uh, putting out clips for the team, you know, whether that be inside's group or just collectively as a team, and his work rate around that um, is really, really good. And so... And I think the one thing about Scott that I love about him is it's his, it's his accountability. His accountability in and around knowing you're off, you're not going to know. He's not afraid to be able to give you a hard word around um, getting that right. And then also having the ability to be able to understand a person's personality, to maybe give them a pat on back to get to get the job done. And um, you know, some people probably think if you're working as an attack coach, is it going to be beneficial moving into the defensive side? I think sometimes, you know, 
even more so as a coach, when you're on the attacking side, you're always in defensive meetings, you're talking to defensive coaches in and around how can we be better? What would a defensive mindset of coach be thinking in and around the attack? And he's also had experience with Japan being a defense coach. So um, I don't think, I don't see it too much of as, as a problem. And you can probably say that um, with Scott Robertson as well, how much he, he, he values, he values him and what he's able to do for Razor since he's been there. So, um, you know, those, those key attributes are going to be massive for the All Blacks. And I know um, going into the environment, even though he's been working on the attacking side of the ball, he's actually been in, we've had some really good defensive coaches at the Crusaders when it be with Andrew Goodman at his time there and Tommy Ellison currently, who's a really good defensive coach. So he's probably more so known that as the coach now. Um, he's probably going to be a little bit more inclined in defensive venues to be to stay on and I guess having more an influence around how things have been run and what it looks like in the game. And um, again, he's watching clips from from Leinster and, uh, you know, La Rochelle in the Heineken Cup. So he's consistently watching code. So um, it's really exciting, I think, with for the All Blacks and having Scott Hansen there as coach. Well, what is the defensive coach in general? Like, how often do you meet with your defensive coach? How big a role does he play within a team on a day-to-day basis? Like, we hear all these words, but I suppose people at home don't really know what they do on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, I, I suppose they've got a pretty big role because defence is probably the, the, the key part of our game. If you get that right, then your attack will come off the back of it. Um, so there'll, there'll be a defensive group that he'll lead, uh, and the players obviously within that group, um, and then there's normally a defensive day, an attacking day during the week, and then a combination of both on the Thursday, so it's a Saturday test match, captain's run, um, you may have some touch-up skills and drills, there'll be individual skills and drills throughout the week, say defence is your weakness, you know, when that um, skills time's put aside, even if it's on attack day, you may be doing defence, it depends on, you know, sort of your weekly plan. So they'll cover everything from tackling technique through to your full defensive setup. On the day, it's like it builds up to full noise. You know, like you'll be doing one-on-one stuff, and then it's maybe three-on-three. Uh, um, you know, and then it goes into maybe forward pack versus forward pack, backs versus backs. Turns a strike, then it bring everyone together, and let's let's see how we go. Is it the defence coaches out there with the whistle barking orders? It's not so much the head coach, or yeah, because you've got to remember that the attack's trying to paint the pictures of the opposition you're playing. So you're not doing your plays. So sometimes a little bit clunky. Definitely the defence coach is running it, but the attack coach will still expect, even though they're not your plays, um, they're competitive. Like they, they want you to break the line. They, yeah. they, they want you to yeah. beat the defence. Yeah. And the defence wants to absolutely <laughs> smash attack. On a defence day, whether you're attacking or not, you're obviously like Jip saying you're really competitive to try and break it, but it actually takes a bit of selflessness to be able to early in the week, um, seeing the pitches at a slow speed, whether they be at 40, 50% early in the week to understand what the pitches will be against the Hurricanes or the Chiefs. And then at the, when you go into your scenarios day after the day off, which is the, the last training before, um, before the training, you go through obviously at higher speed, but at the same time, you've got to be able to, um, give the guys another opportunity to be able to um, to be able to play as well. So, like you're talking around the click attack or a turnover ball. If you lose the ball in position, then that's their chance to be able to have a click attack and, and remix and something different defensively that you've got to be able to adapt to on the run as well. So, do you find that sometimes the defence and the attack coaches have got quite a funny relationship? Like, are they they oh, they, they want to get one up. Other. They want to like, get one up. There's no doubt. But Brenner's right. You've got to get it right in the sense that it's a little bit easier for the defence coach to because all defence systems are quite similar, so when it's attack day, your defence system's still pretty similar to the opposition, so it's a little bit easier, whereas you know, the selfless nature that Bryn's talking about, and this is what probably gets you a long career, is if you play your role, so don't try and beat them with your guys' moves. You, you have to play 
the role of running that ball probably into a brick wall because everyone knows it's coming because we've seen the clips, we've walked through it about 10 times. Mm. Um, so there is that element as well. But if it's even like the players. Like if, if you're in that starting side and they break through, it is, it's definitely um, the tension oh. rises very quickly. <laughs> the defensive side sometimes, they set you up so, so well because they run it so good. Also, maybe even like a click attack with some knock-ons. And you walk away from that training session thinking, man, geez, you know, we've got to be able to um, get our week right here because they've put in such a good effort and it sets you up for the weekend. So it's a real selfless second understanding. And the, coach, the real good coaches really drive that understanding that We've also got to give these guys opportunities to play and show their case to be able to move into the 23. But at the same time, as a player, selflessly, you've got to not understand that, you know, it's for the better of the team. But then when I do get my opportunity through click attack or through this move that we're running, um, you've got to be able to nail it. I would imagine as a fringe slash, you know, wider squad player, that's where you learn rugby, is it? Because you, you're having to embody the opposition and you're having to learn new ways. That's, that's game day. Yeah. You know, you've got to look at that as your game day because that's the only chance you're going to get to impress the coach to get a crack. Mm. Um, so as long as you stick to the script and you do, you know, if you go against the script, that'll be the sure way you'll never get selected. But if you stick to the script and you show the, you know, I suppose the application and, and you know, probably physical presence, um, people will take notice. Even the opposition players, maybe the senior players, be like, man, get this kid a go, you know. Mm. Um, he's, he's into everything sort of thing. So it is really important for those squad members to deliver. Um, because if they want, if they're hungry enough to want that jersey, it means you have to turn up in that starting line. You can't, you can't have a day off because they'll go straight through you if you don't have that same level of intensity. The one thing in saying that, I suppose when the All Blacks get together, I think there would be limited contact because there's been such a lot of mm. the season done. It might be more body on body, if I'm honest. Um, there'll be top up, maybe group contact for 10-15 minutes, that's sort of one-on-one -on -one tackling and mm. um, things like that. But when they get into that team stuff, it'll be, you know, it'll be a strong hold, yeah. but it won't be about killing each other because you just won't have time to recover. You've, you've got a lot of runs on the board. So if it's like game day, Bryn, at that particular time, when you're about to go out, you just put your boots on, you're in the training facility, you're about to go out and have these, these sessions, how much different is your mindset as you're walking out onto the field in comparison to actual game day? Like, do you have to almost get yourself in that same place? Nothing replicates a game day, but it's knowing that it's your final, it's your final dress rehearsal. I think you know you've done all your preparation throughout the week. Um, whether you're 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 reserving, you're not playing, or you're starting, you know that's your last dress rehearsal at a high intensity to try and get to that game situation. That mentally you've almost got to be there anyway, whether there's no contact or not. It's just been able to get that right. And so, um, you know, I remember at my time we were there that sometimes the, the Thursday training was a lot harder than the actual game because teams had broken us up. We've done all the preparation side, but they've still broken us. We've got one thing wrong and probably a couple of examples on the weekend. They got a little things wrong defensively, but you've seen that in training as well. If you don't get that right, it do, almost does give you a little bit of anxiety going into the, into the, into the game, which is great because you, you go away from rugby and you've got 24 hours to have the conversations. Did we get this right? What does it look like? All right, let's do this in the game. So the Thursday training or the, the last training before the captain's run is massive. And sometimes those those intensities, Jim, you could probably attest to this, sometimes those those trainings are worse than the game. I think it's different for forwards and backs. Like I reckon you, if, you, if you're in the forwards, you've got to get to that game day mindset. Otherwise you'll get hurt, like genuinely. <laughs> like, because we, we go, they split at the start. Mm. So we, we go do malls and scrums and breakdowns and she's all on, she's a hundy. Mm. Um, so if you're not there, you'll be you'll be found out pretty quickly, and that just flows on to that session. They, they are hard days, man. Like they they, and you've got to get your recovery right to get 
ready for Saturday to come and go. But I always found pretty much every team I was in, the forwards would they'd be pretty quiet on Thursday. Mm. You know, because everyone's just, it wouldn't be the same preparation as game day because that would be too intense. But there's definitely the zone and the joke stop. And, yep. you know, especially 30 minutes out, you, you know it's all, all, it's all go. You must have had some players with you who are legendary for, like, taking that game, that Thursday, just a little far. <laughs> um, I was probably guilty of it at times. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably very guilty of it at times. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely certain players that... Um, yeah, bring bring more than others. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was I was. He was still more limited. I, I was uh, bad. Jeff was really yeah. limited those trainings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I saw red mist, normally I'd just take a, a shoulder to the nose or something, and then it, it was <laughs> it was all on for young and old. Not that I could do much, but man, I went around with uh, with the mindset too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You do hear legendary stories about scuffles, eh? About, you know, that, that is the day that the scuffles happen where some, something gets sorted out real quick. George Moala was pretty ruthless. Was, yeah. Like, if he, he was similar, like, he was almost like mates rates, and then if someone hit him and he wasn't expecting it, oh, holy yeah. dooly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he is like a man possessed. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, yeah, there's, there's number. Offer, Offer would get in the zone. He, 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 wouldn't, he wouldn't miss. Um, no, there's been a number over the years. Funny enough, as soon as I heard off man, when I was at the Blues, the amount of times that he would just absolutely demo me at a run. <laughs> yeah. And he'd go full, full, full tilt. He wouldn't let go as well. Um, but that's actually probably a good, um, good point there, Jip, around um, the backs and the forwards, because the, the backs are completely different for us. Yeah. It's a little bit of contact, uh, maybe your side tackles and, and that whatnot, but um, it's more so the speed element, I think, for us backs and knowing that it's going to be really, really quick because the breakdown area in those scenarios probably is at a hold, you're not going to be able to slow down the ball as much. And so the tempo of being able to run to line outs here and there, no stoppage, and the amount of, I guess, the, the fitness and the breathing takes a really big toll. But, um, yeah, yeah, those are those are good days, man. I reckon Jared Hoyata is probably the best I've seen. Now, I was just trying to think who, who's oh. the most ruthless. He, he would have been the best I'd played with. Um, yeah. Yeah, he'd look for Claret. Pretty much every training session, yeah. <laughs> he would look to, to split to split people. Yeah, um, and he would just go silent. And even if he would do something like so, like aggressive and like almost snap a bloke in half, and he just would be deadpan, just back. <laughs> right, next drill. Where, where are we going? <laughs> right, whole place. Even coaches are like, holy dooly. <laughs> So you can imagine he's a coach now of Taranaki. So you can imagine these sessions would just be contact after contact. Yeah. In trainings, you can't get sent off. There's no judiciary that. You <laughs> no, that's a great do, point. Whatever whatsoever. So just good luck. Yeah. Doesn't uh, matter. There's got to be rules of engagement though. Sure. Mate, he was a big reason. So like Harbour, we were going all right. We won that championship, and he came into our squad the first time we went into the Premiership. And man, he was the big reason why we got to the semi-finals and nearly nearly tipped over Canterbury and, and had a chance at the final because the edge he brought at training man like you just could not afford to go out on that cross that white line yeah. and think that this was just going to be touch yeah um, it, it was uh, you know between him and Tom Coventry um, they were massive changes that that brought around that, that sort of edge um, in, in the Harbour Ford pack that that provided the freaks like Brennan, and Gatlin and Stevenson and co um, the opportunities. Some chances are wide to be yeah. Lee. Yeah. yeah. All the boys. It's a simple game up front. <laughs> Got to win collisions. <laughs> That's right. Uh, my favourite part of the show is when we go completely off. Yeah, base. yeah. And we yeah. have. So let's pull back yeah. to Leon McDonald, uh, the attack coach 
for the All Blacks. You both played under him? Yep. Yeah. Jip, yep. when you think about Leon McDonald, I suppose, from what you've seen of him as a head coach, because you played under him as a head coach, right? Yeah. What, did, what did you he like about him? He was the attack him? coach. He was the attack coach as well. As well, yeah, right. So his role was attack coach. Um, just the simplicity of his ideas, um, mm. you know, and he's just big on, he was awesome in terms of the repetition. Like, he wasn't looking to create something out of nothing. You know, it would be the same thing over and over and over again so that we were consistent in our lines, consistent in, in, in our skill set, so that when it came under pressure, you know, it was almost second nature. Um, and, and simplicity makes it easy in terms of the breakdown as well. You know where you're going to be, what your role is. Mm. Um, and then I, I suppose the detail he would go into as a coach in terms of looking at the opposition and knowing where... Um, you know, certain things may work, and, and I suppose the clip work like that's such a big role for coaches that that um, you know, sort of previewing the opposition and, and. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot; we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Coming up with how your system, without changing too much, is going to break them down. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a details man, um, very passionate, very competitive Um and I think he'll be, you know, exceptional in that role. One of the things I used to love at Blues training was watching uh, all of the coaches play a touch game at the end of training on a Thursday, <laughs> yeah. eh? and you'd see him, and he's still in good shape. Yeah, yeah. And you'd see him having a crack in this touch game and going. Hey, he'd join our ones and just go full tit. Like, yeah. he, he's he's. Um, but I think that's why everyone loves him. You know, like they, he's, he wears his heart on his sleeve and he cares, um, and he backs it up with his hard work ethic mm. um, in terms of what he delivers. Yeah. Bryn, how did he work with Razor? Oh, I think it was, oh, from what I saw, they, they got along really, really well. And I think, you know, they've obviously got that um, understanding playing together in the All Blacks, and especially the Crusaders and winning so much down there. Um, there's also, you know, that's just the fact that they obviously get it, get along. But, yeah, those are the two things that I put around for, um, for, for Rangi, sorry, for Leon, was around his preparation. And, you know, a lot of people would think, what's changed the Blues? You'd have to think, right, before he came in. You know, there was, there was obviously a lot of coaches that had come through, they weren't getting it right. But the things that Jip's talking around, the preparation and the attention to detail, making it very easy. But sometimes it's really boring running that line through the week. You might run that that hard line on the edge 15 times during the week, you know, and that's what you you need to do consistently to be able to get the ball where it needs to go. And under pressure, you know, when you've had done that for you know, five, six games, seven games, running the same lines, getting the right preparation every single week, you as, a, as an individual within that position, it's really easy to be able to execute your role. And that's why you're seeing now the Blues are so consistent, almost winning a title last year, and why they now in the conversations of winning championships due to those those kind of things that Rangi's brought in. But I think one thing that he did really, really well with my time, I only got to spend one year with him. But I think just knowing that he's, he was an all-black 
he was a centurion at the time of the Crusaders. So when he spoke to you, you really cared and you understood he was coming from a good place. And his understanding around communicating to players in big moments and big games, especially in finals and around those tight games, he could bring the best out of you as a player. And he's, you know, there's just a few things he did say to me on game day or something. I was like, oh, yeah, that really resonates with me. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what I needed to hear. And Rangi had a really good ability to be able to do that. So that's really powerful as a coach. If you've got the preparation side, like Jip, like we've talked about, he's competitive and you, you know he's competitive because you can see it on the field when he's playing a game of touch or even more so when he loses. You don't want to be in anywhere around Rangi when he loses because he's that competitive and doesn't want to talk to you for like probably 24, 48 hours. But, um, you know, all those attributes, I think it's really important. And a lot of that coaching staff that Razor's selected has those traits. So as a player, you can only get behind that. And I only had Rangi for a year, Leon for a year, sorry, but um, all those points that Jip's touched on and the one that I just said, um, it's really powerful as a coach and he's got it. I think as well, just to add to that, the way he articulates his points is, is really simple as well. Mm. Like it's not hard to understand, which makes it a lot easier to, to get things in motion. Um, I was just thinking, even just the little things around his details, an example, when he first came to the Blues, you know, um, I won't give the meterage because it's probably, you know, his IP, but he, he drew lines down the field to show the perfect width mm. um, for forwards to stand off, off the breakdown, um, which I just thought, you know, like, he, he's, he's, he's proactive in his approach. He's like, I, I need to see it, you guys in this position. I'm not seeing it. I'm actually sick of uh, yelling at you all. Yeah. This is this. I'm going to make it really clear where you need <laughs> to be, and it's amazing, you know. And that gives you so much confidence yeah. because then it works. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I get it, you know, and, and and it just flows on from there. But he doesn't just accept. He doesn't just say to himself, oh, I'm just going to keep yelling at them. Mm. He he was like, there must be a way, and then came up with that, and that was like the key to all of us, you know, realizing and changing our habits to fit within, you know, the new system. The good thing about Leon as well is that he's actually done it at different levels, bringing teams up from from the depth. You think of Tasman when he got there. Obviously, they had a bit of success in and around um, with um, Kieran Kane there, but the consistency of where you saw where you see the Marco now, and obviously they won with Andrew Goodman. But the things that he instilled within that program to then be them to be able to be, I guess, very similar to where the Blues are now, contesting for championships, getting All Blacks, getting Super Rugby contracts contracts when they're at Tasman, he's got a really good ability of getting the young players to then come up and being able to be professional rugby players and then All Blacks as well. So that's another string to his bow that that he's got the ability to be able to do. But he's going to be working assisted by Jason Holland, the current Hurricanes head coach. How will that work between the two of them? Well, the only way I can explain it probably now, the Blues, I suppose, um, Leon's that sort of phase play attack structure and Dan Halangahu runs all the back strikes off scrums, line-outs um, and does the skill stuff. You know, Leon helps out with the skill stuff. He does a lot of stuff with the forwards. Um, but, yeah, I'd say it's similar to that, I'm guessing. Um, so yeah. I'd say Jason Holland's yeah. probably doing that back strikes um, uh, role as well as you know probably leading the skills. When you say strikes, are you talking about strikes off set piece or yeah, like also phase one? Phase one. Phase one. Phase strikes. One. Line ball and line out. Yeah. Strike move where you want to get to. Yeah. But like when we looked at Ireland last year, and we saw strikes off multiple phases at different times. No, so that's that, phase play. That's that's phase that's play. Phase play. So that's so that's. You'll have a system yeah. within that, whereas backs yeah. will have all those fancy moves. Yeah. So an example, Ross would be like, you know, for your line out strike that they'd have, um, let's just say it's a 57, like a five, sorry, let's just say a five man, right? Your your strike from there might be three or four phases. It consists of three or four phases. And then once, once that phase, fourth phase is done, it's finished. And then you fall into your phase play shape, which is obviously what Leon McDonald's doing. You see the pod system 
you fall into a structure that ends up being your blueprint and, and your and your and your attack structures. How hard is that to do as a player? Is it become just kind of muscle memory because it's, it's yeah. a, a, a different mindset going for two different. Nah, because it's it's similar philosophies like and same same language. Um, and if it breaks down, you know what you go to. Yeah. You know, you're very clear. Like it's it's um, it sounds complicated, but it's not. I always found it hard for the forwards because they've got to concentrate in the preparation that they need to do with their with their lineup, especially right. They've got to understand a new calling system that they might bring in that week. Then they've got to be able to have the new calling system in your strike menu that might alter and change. So the amount of work that the forwards actually have to do, they probably don't actually get a pat on the back. Well, so that is why every week I say it's one up front. Every week. This, mate. <laughs> I'm yeah, glad just, I finally got you on board. Yeah, we're going to change the key along the bottom <laughs> to James. Yeah, I want it up front, Parsons. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if there's room. Oh, well. We might have to I, I don't think we need a key, graphic. to be honest. I yeah, think yeah, everyone yeah. knows it's coming out of yeah. my mouth every week. <laughs> 100%. Uh, but the reason why um, it's so, like, I've got a massive appreciation for Ireland, because I've only just heard through the, um, just heard through the, the grapevines a little bit, is that, you know, traditionally with a lot of teams and even in Super Rugby teams have been part of, even like with the Maldives and that. It's usually a four-phase structure, and you, you, you like your strikes that you're kind of remembering. Ireland, I believe that they were having kind of six, seven phases that they had to continue to keep to remember. So the amount of preparation that those boys were having to do and think about that. I remember at the time of the Crusaders, we actually tried to implement a few more phases in and around trying to remember it. Six, seven phases, continually remembering different parts of where you were going on the on the field, and found it actually was it was 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 really really hard to be able to get the detail at those long phase six, seven phase counts. So I'm sorry, six, seven strike phases um but yeah i guess ireland um, if they're still running that system it just adds to how good they are as a as a lot as a as an international structure but i think it shows you how important johnny sexton is because i bet you he's like the rain man he knows it all and he's actually coaching on the run that's the power of him mm. so when he's not there you know do they need to look at going back to three yeah know, phase sort of strikes i'm not too sure because you know we looked at similar things and it's just like it gets clunky um, and also you potentially, mm, yeah, yeah. For, for us down here is that, you know, you don't want to take away the ability to look up, see a hole and be robotic. You know, if there's mm. a hole, take it. Like you can break the play and ha have a line break, please. Yeah. You know, you don't want to get in that, uh, I suppose, that mindset um, of, you know, just going through the plays. I would imagine because one thing can go wrong and that stuffs up everything else, right? So it must be quite difficult to continue yeah, like, within that system yeah. when this person who's integral is no longer there. But you, even like sometimes, say a striker needs to be in the midfield and it, for some reason it ends up on the 15, mm. you know that it's gone. So it's right, we're, just sh we're in face yeah. play shape, we're playing now. Okay. Do you know what I mean? If they don't hit the target of where they should in, in yeah. terms of the back strike because they saw something else, you, you know like... That's what tens do. They like phase play, or they'll communicate. It's over, you know. And forwards will, you know, the shape you're going to. So you stick in the same shape. It's just in a different mm. part of the field. And I think, you know, as my example, when we played there, we got to the sixth, seventh phase. And me as a halfback, I'm thinking, man, okay, that's the that's the third phase that's happened. I've got three more to think about, knowing when the ball's going to go. But then you take your ability to be able to think about and play what's in front of you, and you miss opportunities because you're thinking about the actual shape and the structures within that time. So, um, yeah, I just find, but again, this, that's just an example. I think we've got the balance really right here and around the three or four phases. Most super rugby teams are thinking in and around that, being real, real brutal. It makes it real easy to be able to understand your role. And then you don't want to take away the flair that New Zealand rugby has. And I guess those kind of, um, those kind of numbers helps you to then be able to be instinctive. <sighs> 
There's a lot to take in. She's not just Tuesday, <laughs> Thursday yeah. nights. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a bit that goes into it. <laughs> yeah, and then a couple of lion reds in the bar afterwards. Yeah, it's not yeah. quite the same. No. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, one of the things that Razor talked about, we'll continue with this coaching thing, is the way that he has selections and the way he uses his assistant coaches to help him with his selections. Like When I think of a traditional model, at least for the All Blacks, it's the coach, the assistant coach, and a neutral, a guy who's kind of like Grant Fox was, mm. in and around the squad, but not a coach as such, but with knowledge and mana and all of those things that you need. He was saying in an article this week that he often relies on his assistant coaches to sell him ideas, sell him on players and how they'll fit within the structures. And then he takes that on board as they create the selection. And it's quite a more of a, a group dynamic as far as thinking. Is that what you had noticed at the Crusaders, Brent? Yeah, I think there was a similar structures. I believe that um, again, I'm not too, I'm not too sure, but I'm, you know, you hear a little bit and thinking around what did happen. Um, I presume that Razor would obviously have his idea of who his team would be, but then I think the greatest thing about asking the assistant coaches and, and all of them is that they'll have their own areas of players that they work in in a, in a week to week basis. So you know, Jason Wright, for example, would look after the tight five. Razor would look after the the loose forwards. Scott Hans would look after the inside backs, and then. Tommy Allison or Andrew Goodman will look after the the outside. So, on an everyday basis, you know, you know, Razor would have his idea. He'd look at clips and overall would be thinking about the team structures. But then there might be a time where you know um, Tommy Allison might be going, "Oh, I want to pick this player because he's shown this consistently for the last four weeks." Or this week we might be able to use him from what I've seen in the trainings and the training matches. You know, so collectively it's great to be able to have those guys that are in house, knowing the players every single day, having the conversations. Are they learning? Are they being able to adapt? Are they communicating with me? And so I think having those assistant coaches to have those conversations um, is really, really important. But I, then I think, you know, Razor would obviously come over the top and thinking around, thank you for all those, um, those opinions. Um, we might change this. We might change that. But at the same time, you know, if it came to 50-50, you'd always have to go with the, the head coach and he'd, he'd pick the selection based on that. I would say that that's probably what happens now. If I'm honest, like yeah. if mm. you look back to Steve Hansen there, like Mike Cron would have a big say. Yeah. Yes, he's not part of the selection, but you know Steve would respect his opinion if he said something. Do you know what I mean? And would so, take that to the table. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I think it probably would have naturally happened. You know, um, even you know Steve Yen, Wayne Smith, you're going to listen to him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like these 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 guys are in these roles for a reason, um, and I think it's a no-brainer. Like. Mm. Collaboration's key because then it's not all on one person's shoulders as well. Like you know, you have to have that, uh, you know, that thought within. And you know, obviously he's got the final say, which is fine. That's that's his role, and that, that clarity of those roles and the clarity of the comms is key. Um, but I think these these coaches are probably more working with individuals more than probably the head coach. So it's quite key to know their feeling and where they're at. Mm. That's probably the cool thing about this list of coaches, Jason Ryan, Scott Hanson, Leon McDonald, Jason Holland. When you look at the squad makeup, these guys have got day-to-day -day experience with almost every player in that squad. Yeah, and also experience as head yeah. coaches. So they appreciate how hard that role is, yeah. you know, and the expectation on it. I think that's critical, is, you know, they'll know what are the harder parts. So, you know, relieving that pressure and, and taking load. And then, yeah, I mean, even if they're not coaching these players, they've reviewed them. Yeah. You know, they've had a good, deep look at all of the players that they'll be selecting from. He said a lot of in his media interviews around trusting people, and obviously um, he trusted the coaches that he's been with. And the great thing is that he's worked with all of them at least some stages since his coaching career started. You know, Jason Holland, he's worked with Canterbury, 
Rangi he's played with and he's coached with at the Crusaders as well. Then you obviously got Scott Hansen who spent time in the last three years in that environment. So they've already already got that ability to be able to they've been in meetings together. I know Jason Holland probably hasn't been there, but a lot of that, that staff has actually worked together and understanding and knowing like what's the best and what success actually looks like. And I guess what the preparation side of what's needed, I guess, at, at that level. It's obviously, um, you can take confidence knowing that Jason Ryan, obviously, right, has gone up to that level to be able to then um, instill the things that have been at the Crusaders and go to the international level and succeed it. And around the line-out, you know, let's look at the line-out more, for example, haven't been able to have a try scored against them since he's been there. So obviously the things that he's brought in from the Crusaders to their all-black environment, it just shows with all of them there, You'd have to think they're hopefully going to have the same success in 2024. I might go to a few of our viewer questions if we've got the chance, because we have been looking for you to engage and we've been so happy with the way you've engaged with us throughout the season. But the first person to get up and shoot us a video oh. and, and tell us what they think and get our opinion on what we think about what they've got to say is someone called Sigrun Owen. Now, Sigrun, um, thank you very much for sending us this video. My question is, what do you think is the best... 9-10 combination in Super Rugby Pacific, and do you think that they should be the ones to lead the All Blacks? I think it's Cortez Ratima and Damien McKenzie, and I think their free-flowing aggressive style would be really hard for teams like Ireland and France to deal with. What do you think? Go to Bryn first, because I always pipe up on these questions. It's probably more appropriate that the, the back on the show talks to it. It's a hard sell to be able to have both 9 and 10 as yours. Like, I think um, Damien's obviously started and he's been we've had talks around him possibly having an opportunity to play at 10 um, I think Cortez Aratima um, it's just it's just going to take time you've obviously got Brad Weber who's there at the moment and look I was actually quite surprised at the, how early they took Brad off but it must just show what what you know Cortez Aratima the way he's playing and the ability within and around that group and the trainings to have the coaches trust him to come on such a big stage so early on um, but he's definitely one for the future I think you know post 2024 you've got you know, you'd have to think, um, you know, TJ Peronata, Aaron Smith and Brad Webb will probably think moving on at their age. And then, you know, Cortez at our team in 2024, I think he'll be, um, I think it'll probably be him and Noah Hotham, I think, are two guys that I think coming through, we're going to hear those names uh, coming forward in 2024. But to answer your question, I don't think at this stage, those two. Sigrun, if you if you want to go back and watch an episode we did with Ben Darwin um, years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, all about cohesion. He works for a company that, consult sporting organisations about consistency of playing together and he talked a lot about you know having that idea of having a 9 and 10 who play together all the time being an international team it's a really interesting thing but when you've got Aaron Smith and the 10s aren't down in the, in the Highlanders yeah. it's almost impossible to do it at the All Blacks Also it? Weber's getting more minutes yeah. do you know what I mean so yeah, like yeah. It, it's, if you go on Ben Darwin's theory then it probably should be Weber yeah. We should probably get Ben back on before the World Cup comes along oh, and he can tell us about do. which please teams do. have had the most consistent selections and therefore will win this tournament. Actually. So we'll reach out to him yeah. and we'll, we'll get Ben on again on the show. But please go back and watch that. Search Ben Dow and Aotearoa Rugby Pod on YouTube. You'll find the episode. It's, it's a really interesting insight into what creates winning teams at World Cup time. And uh, it's almost time to start a talking about a it. Lot of, a lot of uh, deep thought in that one. <laughs> Thanks for the question, though. Love yeah. the video question. Thank you. So, and if you could send us through a video as well, we'll be happy to answer those questions. Um, we love them out of left field or if they're on, on point with, with what we're talking about the week before, whatever it might be, um, we'd love to engage with you. Aotearoa Rugby Pod at, at sky.co.nz. Um, you can send emails, comment in the YouTube, or, or send a video on the submission feed um, here. And, well, we'll try our best to get you on the show. So, yes, moving on. 
to the next question, um, which is from Wilson Cadden of Epsom South. Um, this is something that was said to me in person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Falau Fakatava playing himself out of a World Cup jersey. He feels like the Highlanders are currently not getting better when he comes on, whereas in the past they used to. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a real tough one because, you know, as a competitor, you know, Falau being in that um, All Black environment and I guess what the All Blacks were asking for him, um, it was warranted on selection for him to be there because I think he was playing consistent rugby. His game management side was was really a positive thing. He wasn't overplaying his hand and he was being has his expector that he's been able to, to do. I just think at the moment, um, he's trying to he's just trying a little bit too much and the inconsistencies around trying to run the ball at the wrong time, um, when to kick at the right, right time, those kind of things um, haven't been as consistent this year. And you've probably got pressure from a guy, Cam Roygaard, who's playing really, really well and, you know, been able to run, score tries decisively, having some really good touches in and around his kicking game and his distribution has been very, very good. So, um, you know, there's no, there's no lost hope for Fafalau. I just think at the moment um, you've just got probably a guy from the Hurricanes that's playing a lot better and is starting as well. You know, with TJ Pedernada not being, not being, not playing, sorry, Falau's coming off the bench with Aaron, who's playing so well. Um, it's really hard to be able to gain that rhythm and being able to have that consistency of performance of um, playing like a Cam Roygaard who's playing 60, 55 minutes because um, he's been able to play. So, um, it, But he's young enough, and I know it's, it's there's still time for the World Cup, but there's still a big future, I believe, for Falau post the Rugby World Cup. But like I said, with all those All Blacks leaving, he'll still want to have the ability to go to that World Cup, and he might do. Um, but at the moment, it's, it's just a little bit hard with the way that um, I guess his selection is with Aaron being at the number nine at the moment and spending a lot of time on the field. Let's talk about the tipping comp. Uh, Super.rugby slash tipping. Come and join us in the Aotearoa Rugby Pod League. Uh, at the moment, I'm doing terrible because I forgot to make my picks last week mm. and I didn't get much out of that and dropped well down the league. But... Chieftains is on top with 49. He is in the box seat at the moment to come and join us on the show. Did well to pick the, the cars. Yeah, I did not, and it was last minute. But Six out of six. Uh, he's very happy. Jip has uh, made a gain this week with five, gone up mm. to 60th place. I thought I was looking pretty. Yeah, Brynner's 150. I think there's about 470 in the league, and I have dropped like 60 places. I'm going to start texting you. <laughs> you should tell on, me. On Friday mornings. You, you get an email on Friday. I'm going to text, text you, mate. I get an email on Friday. you put your picks in. Well, when I get the, the tipping numbers on Monday before we record the show, <laughs> I should really do my tips then, but I keep on thinking <laughs> I'll just wait until, you know, the selections yeah. come out and, you know, I don't want to do this twice. Well, I should probably... I change mine about four times a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. Old Harry Hart out over here and still gets it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, let's have a look ahead. Landers Chiefs? Uh, again, I do want to see the team, but you know, you'd have to think the Chiefs aren't going to change too much when they're on this run. Yep. But they are going to have to rest some bodies. Yep. No, I'm going to the Chiefs. I just think even like, man, the words that are coming out from that camp, they're just they're that motivated to like um, the winning streak. And I think Clayton was like, oh, we don't even talk about the winning streak. Like, he said it right down the barrel and had no emotion. <laughs> You know, so I guess the, how, just how they are and the performance they had on the weekend. With it, yeah, you know, so you can just tell that the messages that are coming out through that group, um, the belief that they're gaining, um, they're in a pretty silly spot, a really good spot. But, yeah, I'll go to the Chiefs. With it, even if they do have changes or not, I just think um, the group and the depth that they've got at the moment, um, not much will change, I don't think. Hmm. The draw versus the Canes. This is in Fiji. Um, this is an interesting game. Oh, man. I'm on the Canes bandwagon after the weekend. Oh yeah? Yeah, I, they're type five. So they hadn't had a more, so often the easy to go to for the Canes is, oh, type five, you know, they, they've got a rock star, loose season backs. Um, mm. But 
they hadn't had a more try scored against them. And yes, I know the Brumbies did score one late, but understand the early injuries. Flanders having to go into lock. Mm. They had no impact off the bench against a side that is humming, as in the Brumbies. Like, that was such an impressive win from the Type 5. And Isaiah Walker-Leoretti, um, Asafa Moore uh, was huge. Uh, Numea, huge. Lomax really stepped up. Um, you know, and Flanders obviously stepping into lock was, was huge as well. Um, I just, it was so impressive. Mm. And then you've got Karifi, who is basically manhandling everyone he can get his mitts on. Um, I just don't think they're in that space that they'll see this as an easy game. And they'll send the big guns and... I think you know, they would have taken a lot yeah. out of what the Blues and the, the way the Blues played last week, and, and they'll get the job done. Yeah, 100%. And I think also Devin Flanders as well, to jump on that as well, Jeff. He was, um, he's been great, man. Massive, um, massive future. I, like, I love watching him play. But, um, yeah, I think the Hurricanes will centre their, their top team over there, just knowing um, the kind of mistakes that other teams have made sending over B team. Um, doing it during period because even, you know, we haven't even touched on much of the Blues, but I just want to give a massive shout-out to the Blues forward pack in that oh, game. Yeah. Man, geez, they were... They were relentless in and around that area and just in, in, in tough conditions as well, humidity-wise. Um, the ability that they were able to put out for 80 minutes, just beating them up and not giving the opportunities for the Ndrua was, was great. But, yeah, I think the Hurricanes will be pretty similar, taking the, the blueprint of what the Blues did. If you can shut down their counter-attack, which the Blues did really well off 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 of lost ball of the offload game, um, they'll take, I guess, the blueprint of what the Blues did really, really well and the Hurricanes will get the job done. Crusaders v Force. Crusaders. Yeah, that'll be Crusaders, and hopefully Will Jordan playing. That'll be nice. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great to see him. <laughs> I think everyone's Jeez, waiting. Feel for the force of ears. Uh, yeah, yeah. The number. <laughs> it's not the player you want to see on the team sheet. That's he's the first name. Whenever you talk to anyone in public about rugby, the first name is. Uh, do you know anything about Will Jordan? Yeah, well, I, he when, is. When's he going to be back? He's electric. Yeah, hopefully he's back this week. Let's see. Um, Blues versus Moana Pacifica. Moana Pacifica coming up the highway to Eden Park. Blues. Blues. Yeah, tough season for one. I'll go Blues. Yeah, are Moana going to go through without a win? Um, if they can sort out their breakdown, like defensively, like I've looked, like their attack, I've I've pumped their attack up left, right, and centre, and mm. it is that is doing the business. Um, but defensively, is tackle choice, Bryn? Like getting guys to the ground and having mm. a hunt. You know, like I think they've had the least attempts at that. The breakdown, yeah. And if you don't slow that ball, you know, because they've tackled at ninety-one percent against the Rebels, but if you're not ready, you don't even get the chance to make a tackle. There's been a lot of games this year where they've been up in that, you know, the ninety or the high eighties to be able to uh, put teams under pressure. But it's more so just teams are playing on top of them, and when you can't slow down that ball, it doesn't even have to be, you know, a jackal presence. It can just be a chop tackle, and the guy going up top being able to then do a job counter rucking through or being able to hit and stick to be able to slow down the ball for at least three seconds to give you guys an opportunity to get set and then be able to use their physical ability. It's just too many times that they're playing, um, teams are playing on top of them and they're not set. There might be a little confusion of communication in and around who you're on and then that's where teams are kind of beating them at the moment. So yeah, hopefully it's, a, it's an area that they can they can get a little bit better. Bryn, when I was growing up, the Reds versus the Tars was a must-see event. You know, even for Kiwis, it was the big game in Australia. It's not so much anymore with the Brumbies being the preeminent team, but... Who do you think out of the Reds at home versus the Tars? We've, we've obviously talked about the Tars coming coming together, and they obviously got a great win against the Highlanders, which um, which was good for them. But yeah, I, they're just too inconsistent and they haven't played well enough for me to be able to warrant them going against the Reds. I think the Reds will will be too good in, in that derby match. Mate, that Reds forward pack was so impressive. 
against the force. It was yeah. a great battle at home. Um, you know, McWright, Wilson, I think, you know, 15 carries each, 20-odd tackles. You know, mm. the work rate and the effort that's going in from that pack. Is, and Tate McDermott's just come to life. Like, he is back. So I think the Reds go in as, as hot favourites for that. Even if Michael Hooper kicks 50-22s? Um, yep, I think so. I reckon my boy, McWright, is, is uh, coming after his seven jersey, I think. Yeah. The Wallabies. Um, yeah. He is on fire. Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's yeah. good. And similar to Duplessis Karifian, he's not a big bloke. Yeah, but he's just but everywhere. He's just everything, yeah. Man, Crucian's playing well. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's just a ball of muscle, that oh, guy. that hit on right, like the timing of that mm. hit, like he's like catches it and then it's just boom fire. <laughs> Buried him. Yeah. He, just, he just angry. Oh. Tupac just plays he's angry. He's a great watch. He just... He, he's a great Every watch. time he's got the ball, he's in the eye and just saying, I'm going to try and bury you every <laughs> single time, even defensively as well. So, yeah, he's had a great year and we were really enjoying watching him play in that loose wall trail with as well. Totally. Uh, Rebels against the Brumbies. 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 Yep. yep. No question yep. about that. They won't drop that one, you know, after the, the Canes. Yeah. Rebels, man, they're in there. They, they've, they show glimpses, but they'll be devastated with the finish against yep. Moana. Yeah. Well, the race home has started. We're on our way towards the, uh, the end. I think five regular rounds left before the playoffs. We'll see the, the competition change shape, I'm sure, quite often along that way. So uh, thank you again. James Parsons. Cheers, mate. And Bryn Hall over in Japan. Um, keep hydrating. Yeah. It's got a lot of hydrating, lads. So, yeah, it'll be good, good to go. Awesome. We'll see you again next week. And thank you very much for tuning in to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Make sure you keep in contact with us via the email, Pod at sky.co.nz. Comment in the YouTube section. You can watch us on YouTube, watch us on Sky, see us on Rugby Pass, see us all over the place. Thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you again soon. Matewa.